I'm Annalie Ashford. Hi, this is Queen Leslie. I'm Andrew Keenan Bulger. Queen Leslie Margarita. Hi, I'm Eden Espinosa. I'm Katie Finnerin. Hi, I'm Laura Osnes, and you're listening to Theater People. Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode 11 of the Theater People podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. I have to admit I was intimidated at the thought of interviewing Katie Finneran for today's show. I'd seen both of her Tony Award-winning performances, Noises Off and Promises Promises, the latter win having earned her near-legendary status because it was accomplished by appearing in just two scenes in the second half of the show. Her resume is a mile long, she's thrived in theater, television, and film, and did I mention that she's blindingly gorgeous? So yeah, I was nervous. But as you're about to hear, I had no reason to be. Within seconds of meeting her, we were hugging and giggling like old girlfriends. So without any further ado, I present the delightful, the hilarious, the glorious Katie Finneran, who, I need to mention, will be performing her solo show at 54 Below, May 28th to the 31st. It ain't fair, this here life is driving me nuts! Well, we get peanuts, she's living fat. Having me, Patrick. Times when I wish we did do video because you look stunning. You're so beautiful. Oh, thank you. You're you know, the only reason I look halfway decent is because my children were out of the house and I got to spend a moment in the bathroom by myself doing my hair and my makeup. It's funny that you said that because I, it wasn't where I was going to start, but I just heard <laughs> story. So I have a six-week-old at home. <gasps> I know. Congratulations! Oh my God! Yeah, we're over the moon, oh. but we're also over the exhaustion. Oh, you know what? It's so crazy. You think you're never gonna get out of it. You think it's gonna go on forever. You think you're gonna go insane and your brain will burst. Yeah. It passes. Well, I was saying that you, I read the story that you were doing that like amazing uh, company. Company. Yes. So weird, but I, I learned from Patty Lapone that cabarets are all about being personal and telling personal stories and giving people a sense of who you really are, which is terrifying because I usually get to hide behind some ridiculous, you know, incarnation of a person. And um, I tell that story in my cabaret about how I was doing company. And you had just shot your pilot. And I had just shot a pilot (laughs) and I had just had a baby and I was crazy with sleep deprivation and postpartum depression. And it was such an extreme extraordinarily challenging time in my professional uh, life that, was that a truck that just went by? Oh yeah, Oh hello truck. We're in a dance studio and we always say like whenever we're in this studio, we're grassroots you guys. You're going to hear the music. I love it. Uh, Everyone, I'm sitting in this beautiful dance studio and I feel like the choreographer is going to come in any moment and make me, (laughs) yes, and I will do it and I will not get the job. And that's okay because I have other good qualities. And I like myself. Um, but yeah, it was a really trying, very, very difficult time. And it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the well, moment. Pardon me, is everybody there? Because if everybody's there, I want to thank you all for coming to the wedding. I'd appreciate your going even more. I mean, you must have lots of better things to do and not a word of it to Paul. Remember, Paul, you know the man I'm going to marry, but I'm not because I wouldn't ruin anyone as wonderful as he is. But I thank you all for the gifts and the flowers. Thank you all. Now it's back to the showers. Don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. Was uh, rehearsed privately, meaning we listened to recordings and videotapes of a Pace University class of students 
uh, that Lonnie Price filmed wearing t-shirts with our names on it that I had to learn by videotape my choreography. Totally. It was crazy. Totally. Yes, totally. And so it, it, was, it was crazy, but it was such a, a great experience. And I'm kind of glad at the time I did not want them to film it. I was like, film it and you can just kill me now. But now I'm kind of glad because I was like, there I was. I was there. I did it. I got through. I, I lived. And you can YouTube. You can you can YouTube your song. You can totes YouTube it, and you can see the terror in my <laughs> eyes. If you nail it. And every time I watch it, I, I not that I watch it every night before I go to bed. I don't. But when my my husband showed my son, who I had just given birth to, when I was doing it, he shows my son, and my son is a little bit obsessed with it. I'm not sure why, but he wants to watch it. So every time he watches it, my hands start to sweat, and I have to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that show very well. My mm -hmm. husband, who's like a musical theater file, like is obsessed with company and Stephen Sondheim, and of course. But I was, I felt like I really heard the words for the first time when I was watching oh, YouTube. Oh, good. Oh, good. that I have. There's a lyric that says something like, "By tomorrow, I'll be in the Hudson with the rest of the garbage." I'll be floating in the Hudson with the other garbage. I just that lyric was so funny to me, and the look on your face. You guys, you pause the podcast, go to YouTube, and watch it. It's, it's, it's some good lyrics. And, and I, I was so um, adamant about slowing it down just a tad because the lyrics are so incredible and you cannot hear them if you do it too fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so I kind of fought everybody on that. that you, had to, you have to slow it down a tiny bit so that you can hear the lyrics. For that particular show, did, was everybody handpicked or did you audition for it? You know, I didn't. They came to me and they asked me to do it. And I had to do it. Um, it was an amazing such a great company. John Cryer, Martha Plimpton. She's so divine. Well, I wanted to go back to like your, you have such a fabulous story of coming to New York when you left Carnegie Mellon. You just kind of dropped out of Carnegie Mellon to come to New York. You know, I loved Carnegie Mellon. I actually got in from a summer program that I had done when I was 17 and they chose me. They chose two people from the summer program and I got in early. So I was, I had that. I really wanted to go to Juilliard, but, uh, and I think I did like, uh, for my monologues, I did Fool for Love and Medea. So I was like, <laughs> so inappropriate for a 17-year-old. But um, didn't get in twice, the two times I auditioned. But I really uh, loved the program at Carnegie Mellon because they treated musical theater actors the same as actors, the same program, the same theater program. It wasn't a musical theater program as opposed to an actor's program. So I loved it. They had a great curriculum. But I had the, uh, the great privilege of going to the New World School of the Arts in Miami, Florida, which Richard Klein, who started um, LaGuardia School for the Arts here in New York City, started this school in Miami. And I got to learn so much. I was in school from 7 in the morning to like 8 at night. And I loved it for high school. Yeah. And so when I went to Carnegie Mellon, I had learned uh, a lot of what we were. I had learned the Greeks and Chekhov and, and Meisner. And, you know, we were studying Uta Hagen's book. And I, it was $20,000 a year to go. And, um, my, you know, my family was, it was a burden financially for us to do that for four years. And so I decided I wanted to go study with New York, uh, to New York City to study with Uta Hagen herself. And she was $7 a class. And I got in, and I studied with, with her for about 12 years until she died. Drop out of Carnegie Mellon, everybody. Yeah. Get here. Yeah. No, do not do that. <laughs> Follow your own path. Everyone has their own well, path. It's an interesting conversation we have on this show all the time, which is do you, you know, encourage people to go to college and really study, or is it better to move to New York? And I always think that to come to New York at that age, you have to be a very focused person. I would say I don't think New York is like, a city for 17 or 18 year olds. 
what do you think? I truly believe that everyone has different circumstances in their lives. Everyone has a different set of psychological upmake, a different set of, uh, of, of family values, different set of rules that they live by. And if you listen to yourself, you'll know the answer. If it's right for you to come, you'll come. If it's not right for you to come, you don't come. Some people need to go to college. Some pe people need structure. I knew it was right for me. I knew it. And I wasn't scared. And I, d I knew it. And that was right for me. But some people, you know, you have to follow your own path. And the great thing about being an actor or a performer or an artist is that there is no set of rules. Like, if you want to be a doctor, you have to know the different places right. in the spine and you have to know what yeah, the patella is and you have to program. pass those tests. Yes, indeed, if you want to be a doctor. But if you want to be an artist, it's what you have to contribute and you have to make sure that you have to be able to sustain your life, your livelihood. You have to do the laundry. You have to buy your groceries. You have to, you know, know how to handle yourself in a big city with different cultures and different senses of what is right and wrong. You have to be able to uh, take care of yourself. I read there were two... Two things that two of the things that you said that you learned from Budahaga that really stood out to me that I loved were um, oh that she was able to teach you how to fix a scene yourself so you didn't have to depend on her. Mm, mm. What, how, what what do you do? Oh gosh, well you know it's it, it, there are a lot of teachers that are um, kind of dogmatic in a way like this is the way we do it here where this is the way if you really want to do it you do it this way. Uh, she was very systematic and very. Um, what can I say? It wasn't about her. It was about what really works, the steps you take to make it really work. Um, you want an example? I don't know. I'm no. thinking of an example. Well, I, was thinking, I was imagining that it was like a year in a scene with an actor and, that, and it's not working. Is that what she meant? It was nothing elusive. It was nothing uh, airy-fairy about it. It was, are you telling the truth here? Are you indulging in your feelings or are you serving the action of the play. What do you want? Why are you stuck? Why is this being unfocused? Why are you moving when the other person has to clearly give information to the audience that needs to propel the story forward? Knock it off. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like that kind of stuff. It was very practical things that you could look at her book and say, oh, all right, I, was, I wasn't doing this. When I'm making a telephone call, I am looking at the audience. I'm not looking at the wall that should be there in my apartment in the scene that I'm doing on the telephone. Right. And you can tell when yeah. someone has done that work and when they haven't done that work. And, and to make something look so simple and so easy takes so much work. It's so much work and you have to do the work the other thing to make it look effortless. Yeah. And I was going to say, doing that night after night after night, how do you keep it fresh? And one of the things that she, the other thing you said was that she taught you how to get through a long run. Yes. It was the greatest class she ever took. It was an experimental class, and she invited uh, certain students to take it. It was, it was one of the greatest things I ever learned. And I can't really articulate it all to you right now, but, but the, the, the essence of it is expect something different. Your character doesn't know what's going to happen. You don't know. And it is different. The air is different. The molecules are different. A thousand people came tonight that didn't come last night. They're coming with different, different feelings, different energy. And if you tell the story and the character doesn't know what's going to happen and you know what's going to happen, in your mind you can imagine what you think is going to happen and have it be different from what's written. Do you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's, it's sort of like, and then that sort of freshened everything up for me because I've done a lot of long runs. Yeah. And at nine, you know, month nine, you're doing your grocery list in your head <laughs> and you're, who's going to call me back? Who's waiting for me at the stage door? <laughs> 
and it gets dull and something about it is so elusive and it's such uh, magic when it does happen but all the elements have to kind of line up and she taught me how to do that from a practical standpoint did you at the time were you you wanted to pursue musical theater and is that correct? No. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be, um, in fact, truthfully, and, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm putting myself down because I'm so grateful for all the gifts that I have and the abilities that I have and whatever talent I have, but I never really sang well enough to be pigeonholed into musical theater. Um, I, I sing character songs and I sing, um, you know, I sing good character songs but no one's ever going to want me to sing you know my white knight <laughs> my white knight you get someone else to do that so uh i always just wanted to be an actress i wanted to be in plays and musicals they're the same to me they really are truly the same to me um i wanted to be telling stories with great people in a big way i wanted uh lots of people to gather and and see a great set and the you know the the best of the best working together to tell a simple story i wanted i wanted to talk maybe next about like the show that kind of put you on the map noises off noises off um yeah, it's funny because i never think of it as the show that put me on the map i think of the 12 years before well, exactly. and I'll, no, that's okay yeah yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> like you do that kind of thing and my my friend came and she's like oh i saw you doing that in our living room in high school <laughs> like so it's like you never really know what's gonna hit what's well, not gonna hit be my question was that like you had been working i mean you had replaced in cabaret you had done a major you know lead in a broadway musical you had been working on broadway off broadway regionally for like up 10 years and then all of a sudden you're an overnight yeah, and it, 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 that doesn't bother me. It's like when you get invited to the party, you go to the party. It's like, right. I, you know, that's fine with me. But I had been working for 12 years before then with, I mean, I felt like when I won that, that award, um, everyone in the audience was a friend of mine. I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> um, everyone in the audience was like, like Franny Sternhagen I had done a show with. Kate Burton I had done a show with. I knew the women from Mornings at 7. It's yeah. like they were all uh, my peers. Just for the record, uh, Kate Burton and Franny Sternhagen taught me everything I know. Uh, I want to thank everyone involved with Noises Off. It's been such a great time in my life. I want to thank um, my friends and my family and my agents and uh, my extraordinary acting teacher, Uta Hagen. Uta! Um, I have these great parents. Uh, they've seen every show I've done since I was five. And every time they come backstage and they smile. And I know how thrilled they are and my brother Denny being here tonight. And um, thank you to having such a great cast. I was very nervous that night. I thought I was going to yeah, hurl. That was a really nerve-wracking night. Um, that night I was trying to think of what I was supposed to say instead of what I wanted. Like I wasn't really following. My head was before my heart, you well, know? That, that's, uh, uh, uh. But, but yes, I, I, I never feel like when the ones hit that hit, you go, well, I liked my performance that I did at, at the Westport Theater that oh, nobody, you know, those wonderful people saw that. Um, but you kind of have to think of them all the same. And then when people do gather around and go like, oh, my God, it's you're just so lucky that you're like, okay, yeah. I'll take it. Well, I was so, it was so, we had Michael Mayer as the director on this show. Love him. Oh. So I did a reading with him a million years ago. I think that was one of the first things I did was just a one-night reading that he hired me to do. It was Time of Your Life? No. With Sarah Jessica Parker, Nathan Lane, and Whoa. a ton of stars. But it was a one-night reading uh, um, charity event for the roundabout. He so we go way back. So amazing. And he really is. We were, he, we were talking the story about when he like discovered Sutton Foster and how she went from being the understudy in Millie to you know headlining and winning the Tony for it. 
And he called her a quadruple threat. Mm. He said that she had, um, you know, the acting, the dancing, the singing, but physical comedy. That the physical comedy was the fourth thing. In Noises Off, you know, it, it, there's so much of the physical comedy, you know, which, and I remember seeing it, and it was one of the first plays I saw when I was in New York. I remember loving you. You were so funny. Oh, thanks. How do you demonstrate, well, number one, do you think that physical comedy is a tool that people should work on having if they intend to pursue this career? And number two, how do you demonstrate that you can do it in an audition? Oh, gosh, that's such a hard question. Uh, first of all, yes, I think everybody needs some kind of clowning training because it takes, it, it helps you tell a story with your body, which is important when you're in a 2,000-seat theater. You need to be able to, um, you know, learn how to open yourself up and, and set up a focal point so that you can have the audience looking where you want them looking. It's a, it's a really important training, I think. Um, I think everyone should have clowning training. Everybody. Like, I think you should know how to tell a story with your body. And uh, I think it can be taught. And how you demonstrate it in an audition is you speak with the director and you find out the exact tone of the show. And it's um, okay to do that in an audition? I think you should. You should know who you're working with and they should know who they're hiring. Um, sometimes they're in too big of a hurry and you have to be able to feel a room and see that, you know, there's time for that or there's not time for that. Certainly in a, in a callback. Certainly in a callback. But um, I just think there's ways of using your body that is physically more uh, accessible to an audience than not. Mm -hmm. Does that make, is that helpful at all? No, that's, that's perfect. And in fact, I wouldn't have, I, I was going to ask you if, you if you suggested like improv, but clowning, that's such good advice. I would never Clowning is so, improv is, is about using your um, intellectual wit to sort of come up with circumstances and come up with ideas. Clowning can be very well thought out and very meticulously crafted. If you go see Bill Irwin and David Shiner in any circumstances, you will learn so much from them. They are incredible. Uh, they're incredible together. They're incredible separately. But it, it's, it's, they choose a physical moment with such economy that the audience can follow exactly what the character is feeling. It's very hard work. It's very specific work. And it, it's so simple that it is universally transcendent. Like you, anybody of any language and any art form can understand that. And I think that translates into actors who use their, use their bodies. They don't have to understand what they're saying, but you get immediately what someone's trying to convey with their body. So funny because you know I'm not an actor. I always say on this show, so I learn. You guys all make it look so effortless. I didn't realize how hard it was. <laughs> it's funny that it is when you see it, when when it is so effortless. Sometimes people get lucky. Sometimes they just that's their essence and or that's they just got that down. But for the most part, it is so meticulously crafted to make it look effortless. I, I, I you know it's funny. I, I'm writing this show. Um, You're 54. Oh, I thought you were saying, you're 54. I'm like, <laughs> almost. I'm 43. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel 54 sometimes. I'm going to be good at 54, though. I like getting older. I really do. Yeah, I love it. Thanks, Patrick. Writing the show. going to kill me if I don't say. The 54, 54 Below. below. It might be you, a funny lady search for home, May 28th to 31st at 54 Below. 
Yes, yes. And we're yes. going to talk about it in depth later. Great. But writing this show, I realized I, I, I chose the songs, the 13 songs that I wanted to do, and they're songs that I, that I really love. And from those songs, I went, okay, which songs can I tell a story through? And some songs got discarded because they didn't really fit with the show. But what I'm realizing, and I have such a great uh, admiration for writers, I always have, but telling a story in the most economical way possible that is easily accessible for an audience takes effing forever. Um, who, who said, if I had more time, I'd write you a shorter letter? <laughs> yeah. um, it takes forever. And my husband, Darren Goldstein, and I go into a studio every day, and we spend three to, to five hours in the studio trying to write a minute and a half patter. Now, I'm not telling you that to be like, oh, look how hard we work. <laughs> but choosing the right... Um, words and the right in the shortest amount of time possible helps an audience understand it very easily and that's the same thing with clowning I'm going to choose this movement to convey this and then the story turns and I'm going to do this and I'm going to it's very economical and that's why it's so easily to, uh, easy to understand that is amazing what was your audition process like for Noises Off? did you have to invoke your yeah, I just kind of came in with her. I mean, it was such a great character. I loved that character. She, it's like this this sort of bimbo from from East London or something, and she thought that she was the greatest actress that ever lived, and totally confident and terrible. And But you don't play her like she's terrible. You play her like she's the greatest actress in the world. And she thinks if you, like, you know, bevel your foot at the end, it just makes your body look better. So that's what you have to do. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and I, I remember being so shy about wearing that costume. Oh I couldn't come out the first day. I was, like, so shy. And then when we started doing it, of course, you get more comfortable and comfortable. And then we were um, You're in like, a, uh, like a bustier yeah, and, exactly. like, uh, a garters. Exactly. Yeah, bustier and garters. And then we were, or we were uh, gathering money for... Um, uh, for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, and I had to make the speech. And so the curtain came down, I go in to make the speech, and I'm standing in front of the audience, and I go, oh my God, I have no clothes on. And I meant it. I was so shy. And Peter Gallagher came over and gave me his jacket. I actually got shy in front of the audience because I wasn't in character. And that is what doing a cabaret is. It's being kind of naked in front of the audience and telling the truth. And it was absolutely, I wasn't trying to be cute. I wasn't trying to be like, ooh, you know, I got like very, very shy. I, I, I couldn't believe that I didn't have any clothes on and I was having to talk to the audience. <laughs> do you remember when you found out about the Tony nomination? I do. I, I, no, I, you know, I, the way I roll, I never quite know when things are happening or what's going on and I'd rather sleep in. So my, <laughs> so uh, I think my dad called me. We're tired. Yeah, we were the, tired. The nominations happened today. I don't know when this episode is going to air, but this morning I was up. I always think they're at five in the morning, so I'm. Uh, like, <laughs> they're not in Los Angeles. I know. <laughs> These are sensible people. Um, yeah, it's it, it's uh, you just do the work and you hope everybody likes it, and sometimes they like stuff more than. My, more, some things more than others, and and you just you hope you get invited to the party, and everybody would love to be praised for what they do and 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 enjoyed and celebrated. I think everybody would love that. So the next time you go to the grocery store, say to your grocer, "Hey man, you these apples that you set up, they are awesome. Thank you so much." I love it when you come into Starbucks. They're just like. 
<laughs> no, but it feels good. It yeah. feels really, really good. And to, to get that kind of um, celebration from your peers, it, it's a great feeling. And at least now I know when I die, it'll say Tony Ward winner. Yes. Katie Finneran. I read this really funny thing you said. You're like, well, the one thing I knew was that they'll always hire a Tony Ward winner, even if it's Medea in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that? Somewhere. Yeah. And I, I already know the part from my audition uh, from Juilliard. So there you go. Right. I was thinking um, about that when you said that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's true. Yeah. How did the Tony change your life? Um, That's such a grand thing. It's to say. such a grand thing to say. Like I said, it changed my life in the sense that it's very important to people in the business, and it allows you to be more of a sale. Like you can, you, Katie Finner and Tony Award winner. They'll always say that now, and maybe it'll help people buy tickets. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's, it helps people sell you. Mm-hmm. It helps people categorize you in a way that's. Um, I guess good for me and good for a production. Um, yeah, and it makes you feel good. Can we talk about Promises, Promises? Promises, Promises, <laughs> of course. Well, I, I, first of all, I love this production of Promises, Promises. Oh, thank you. It was so much fun. In fact, I'm Kristen Chenoweth. I'm supposed to go to her show on May 3rd, and she's completely sold out. So I'm like, you know, taking tickets from her mother. She's like, gotta get, I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from her because I want to see her at Carnegie Hall. Oh, isn't she great? She's <laughs> such a superstar. I could listen to you talk about other actors all day. Like, you are the most, like, congratulatory and celebratory of other people. It's so, like, nice to hear you. Oh, I love it. Action. I love my, my, my peers. And, and the fact that I can call them my peers makes me, makes me feel pretty fancy. Well, so it really does. In Promises, Promises, I was reading about, um, because, okay, so first of all, you come in, you have two scenes in the second act. You're hilarious. I mean, I remember like thinking you were like the funniest thing. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is what? How does an actor who's in only the second half of a show like? Do you get to come late? Well, actually, yes, I got to come late, but I didn't really like to come late because you feel so um, detached from the rest of the cast. You know, I wanted to go and see that opening number. I love that opening number with the chairs and the dancers flying everywhere. Oh, that was an incredible. So I used to walk in right while the dancers were still uh, warming up on stage and Sean was right on stage and I used to, you know, the stage door is there and you have to walk across the stage to get my, to my dressing room. So I'd say hello to everybody right before the opening number, then go up to my dressing room and uh, through my dressing room there was a tiny little bathroom which had a secret door. I would open the secret door, I called it a view from the loo, <laughs> and I would go right into the first box in audience left and watch the opening number. And thrilling, and it just made me feel part Wait, of the company. Nobody else in the box. Oh, wow. And I'd close that curtain, it would be all mine. Sometimes there were, and I would just say, excuse me, can you leave please? <laughs> um, yeah, if you wanna use my potty, it's right there. But, um, yeah, I would watch the opening number just to get a sense of the feeling of the show, the feeling of the audience, Sean, you know, just uh, to support everybody. And you started, it seems like from what I read, you started rehearsals like a long time after you auditioned. Yes, I did a reading of it a year before. Okay. And then... And I read that you, and once they started rehearsals, you came into the rehearsal process late. Like three weeks later because there was nothing for me to do. So, again, it was like feeling kind of left out. And I had been working on the part, knowing not, not at all what I was going to do. And I, as a joke, in rehearsal, I, I looked up um, owl sounds on the Internet. And I listened to about 100 different species of owls. And I chose the western screeching owl. And I decided to do that in rehearsal as a joke, only as a joke. Um, Neil, Simon, and I go way back. We had done another play together, and we're friends. And I just wanted to make him laugh. And uh, Rob said, 
Oh, you, ha you have to keep it in. Rob Ashford. Oh, Rob Ashford, sorry. Rob Ashford, the director, said, you have to keep it in. I was like, are you kidding me? That's so <laughs> tacky. So tacky. And I think that got me a Tony. Well, how did you find the character? The character, it, it was interesting. I'm asking this question knowing the answer because I read a lot of what you said about it, and mm -hmm. I find it to be so interesting. I was terrified because I truly thought that during the rehearsal of the reading, a year before, I completely bombed. Totally bombed. Then we had lunch, then I was like, I better figure out what I'm gonna do with this character at lunch. It was like everybody looks at you that like look like, oh, I'm so ashamed to know you because you just bombed so badly. <laughs> We've all been there, hopefully. Um, and after lunch, I came up with this character and I just completely committed and I think it really worked. So they offered me the part, but I couldn't remember what I had done after lunch because it was so off the cuff <laughs> that I was terrified. So I would sit with my husband and be like, or my almost husband, and be like, I have no idea what I did. And they're in rehearsal right now, and I'm expected to come in in like three weeks, and I have no idea what I did. So I sort of um, narrowed it down to kind of like a Sally Kellerman kind of voice, you know, from MASH. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, just like an attitude, like, you know, she's, I can't even do it. But it's, it's, <laughs> just, it, just, I really felt, uh, I thought about who she was. And then I kind of went from there. And you were, you were trying to also make her like really different from Kristen. No, I was just trying to make her her. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's true. Kristen, I guess I was kind of the antithesis of Kristen. Just from a, from a dramaturgical uh, standpoint, the character should be different in a musical because you don't want the same character mm -hmm. twice. And it's not the same character. If you read it, it's completely the antithesis of Kristen. Right. So um, even physically and all that stuff I was. So uh, I, uh, yeah, I, can't, I don't know what else to say about well, it. Well, I don't know if this is like an appropriate question to ask, but like your performance was so celebrated, you know, and I feel like maybe, I don't know, I feel like the critics were a little harder on some of your other castmates. Well, you know, you're talking about Kristen, obviously. Yeah. You know what? Who, I, mean, I always was. say she is such a superstar. When I saw her in um, uh, Charlie Brown, I, oh. I didn't even know her. I bust backstage because I knew one of the dressers. I kind of knew her. Maybe I'd seen her once. I opened her door and I, I, I like got on my knees and I was like, <laughs> you are... You just killed everyone. You are amazing. She was so phenomenal in that. And the thing about Promises, Promises uh, was that it's, it, it was, a, a, it was a, a um, departure for her. She was taking a risk. She was playing a character that she doesn't normally play. This woman had you know, depression. This woman had, it was dark. She tried to kill herself. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and people want Kristen to be funny and bubbly and wonderful. I thought it was the most extraordinary thing that she could do to make her career more eclectic, choose something that was difficult and that was unexpected and that was complicated. And I thought she did it beautifully. Would people have rather seen her do something else? Well, then pick a different show. She was great in Promises, Promises. And um, even her vocal range, like she's saying in a different place in her voice than she normally does. But do you want to see her do the exact same thing every time? Then she would be criticized for that. She's an actress, she's a great singer, she's a great performer. Um, and I want to see her do different things. And I was happy that she took that part. And I think that people were lucky that they got to see her in it. Was it hard for you to, how does it work in a, in a company like that when people are really, you, you get nominated for a Tony, then you win a Tony, and you're kind of like the standout performance in the show, you know? Oh, I think Kristen bought me a cake or something. Like, she, like, you know, <laughs> gives me presents I mean, and bought me a cake. You, oh, please. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it's going to be her, and it's going to be somebody else, or it's like, it's like, it's going to be her year next year. You know, I mean, it's like, if you're a tight-knit community like we are, 
we just love working. And there are some people that, you know, have a different attitude towards their careers and show business. They might be a little not able to handle the sort of um, supportive nature of what we do. Yeah. But for the most part, we're very supportive because we know there's only a couple slots and we got them. And like, why not have fun? We're at the party. Why not have fun together? It's like, come on. You're going to be celebrated one time. I'm going to be criticized another time. Let's just all support each other because there's like four slots. And let's just have fun and support each other. We're not, you know, you got the part already. Just support each other. And that's, for the most part, what I found in our community. It is a really really great community. It is. I found that it is, always. And somebody who misbehaves is probably... Uh, very insecure about what they're doing or being criticized or they have a financial burden on their shoulders that the entire show is being sold through them and those people when they behave badly you need to give them a week and then you need to make fun of them (laughs) and bring them back down into the company and that's what I always do so Um, but I haven't experienced that a lot yeah Uh, I I imagine that's because you're like the funnest nicest person ever you know, what I just it's we're all gonna die, so we might as well just have a good time. We're on Broadway. Come on, shut up. What do you have to complain about? Knock it off. Which on here is hilarious and hilarious. Without it and never think about it. Who cares what the future will bring? There's just no predicting a thing. Don't wait for a miracle. I mean, so much fun. And the thing about him is that I never would have gotten the attention that I got for that show if he hadn't been catching what I threw at him and, and willing to shine the light on me. He could so... You don't understand how, how, how delicate it is on stage with two funny people. One person can absolutely squash another person's moment without anybody even noting. He was uh, generous and loving and wanted me to shine and want, wanted that character to work only because of him. It's like a catcher and a, a, and a, and a thrower mm-hmm. in baseball. I'm making a baseball reference, everyone. <laughs> we don't know what that is. Baseball. <laughs> baseball. My husband will be so happy. Can we talk about Annie? Yes. Uh, oh, my God, totally. Annie. Uh, Her little cheeks, little teeth, everything around me is little. most about Annie is I loved the show growing up. I knew, did all the numbers. I did all the uh, the characters with my best friend Sharon Delaney on my carpet. And I, I, would, I would feel like I was in the show. Like I felt like. So when it happened, I auditioned when I was eight months pregnant. And I thought, oh, they're never going to pick me. This is never going to happen. Like they had been auditioning everyone and their mother, all the movie stars in the world. And I went in in high heels and my big pregnant belly and my Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress. Um, and I got the part. It was like crazy. 
And the thing that I love most about it is that how, when will I ever get to do a Broadway show again that little kids can come to? I was going to ask you. Uh, when can, is that ever going to happen again? Like little kids would come backstage and I, would, I could show them my costumes and show them my makeup and my hair and they were terrified of me and they would scream and I would, <laughs> I would beat them. No, sorry. Um, my little boys uh, were, t you know, they were... They're so little, and they would be backstage with me all the time, too, and they got to sort of grow up um, backstage. Do you, well, I have two things. Number one, I have to say this because I have it in dark black bold, that you were in Judy Garland's dressing room. Totes, Judy's, I, I keep saying totes like I'm a young person. I'm not a young person. <laughs> totally in Judy Garland's dressing room. Did you feel her spirit? Totally, yes, yes. I love that feeling. And I felt more than anything in that dressing room like, do the best you can. <laughs> Just go out and do the best you can. And every night I would come off and I would say, uh, I did the best I could. <laughs> I did the best I could. Yeah. I wanted to talk about your audition for that because I was, I mean, there's like a great New York Times piece that like just says like, they were looking at this person and they were looking at this oh, person. Oh, yeah. And then Katie Sitterin came in and like nailed it and got it on like basically on the spot. Is that true? And what did you do? I did this sort of crazy, um, crazy, uh, I had a very strong uh, idea of who I thought she was, um, which may or may not have come out in the production, but when I auditioned, I, I had a very strong idea that she was a, uh, a burlesque dancer that was getting older, and she was loopy and fun and had this fantasy life that she lived on her own with her jewels and her her um her boas and her when she closed the door and she had a couple of drinks she was a great movie star and she just happened you know she was starving she wasn't quite cute enough to be a burlesque dancer anymore and she got the job at the orphanage and it was a way to feed herself and to have a job but every single moment was a moment that someone was going to knock on the door and make her a movie star. Because <laughs> your, your, your Miss Hannigan was, like, beautiful. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was seeing the press photos before I saw it and thinking, like, oh, my God, she's, like, beautiful. It's like, I just thought, like, well, what did, what did uh, a burlesque dancer do that was getting older, that wasn't really, hadn't been married, who had, had been with maybe men that were married already and she was, you know, tossed off and what would they do? You couldn't, you know, what what would they do? They'd either become prostitutes or they may be lucky enough to to meet a guy who ran a orphanage. You know, I know that's how I that I was my hope. I love the feminism that you're bringing to the to the table cuz that's that's a great I mean you never think of Miss not never, but I mean Miss Hannigan is so easily such a caricature of just a mean old lady. Yeah, and and I also thought like the reason she hates children is that she's the oldest of twelve brothers and sisters. <laughs> so like, oh, kill me now. But I, I shouldn't have shared all that because it's so personal. But that that was my take on it, and and, and that was uh, how I was. Uh, that was my end to the story. And I'm forty. I was forty forty one when I did the show. So it's like that was completely a forty one year old woman that wasn't married and had no job opportunity and had no only had a dancing background and she wasn't even a good dancer like yeah. that was where else you're gonna go 
except be a prostitute, you know. Did you sing girls for the audition? I did. And uh, did you did you just know at the end of it that you're like, yeah, and this is it, I did it? Um, you know, something happens when you feel like you have told a story in the way that you meant to and that you didn't let nerves take over and you didn't let very clear, I very clearly conveyed what I thought it should be. Um, but, you know, I didn't find out till you know, much later. I think uh, the baby had almost been born. or the, I was like nine months. I was like bursting and the baby was born. <laughs> and they said, can you start five weeks from now? And I was like, yes, I can. No worries. I'm a mother of two tiny babies. I can do eight shows a week. And I did. Uh, well, I had this crazy idea that we, you, your career is so like, long and amazing. You've done so many great shows that obviously there'd be no time to like, touch on everything. So what I did was I took your resume and cut it up and put it in a bag. Hilarious. Thought, could we like take maybe grab one, grab three, and you can just give us a story about this? Totally. Story. Let's okay. do it. You're so fun. That's Thank that's you. so much fun. I love that idea. And, I hope um, some weird, obscure play. I hope like the, the House of Bernardo Alba comes up. You know. Oh, we did just your Broadway. Just your Broadway. Oh, just Broadway. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Just like you know, like nothing else counts. Right. <laughs> okay. Patrick, I'm so disappointed in you and your artistic. <laughs> Artistic sensibility, dis- disappointing. Well, why don't you just tell? Yeah, exactly. All right, ready? Why don't you just tell uh, the heiress. Yes. <gasps> the heiress. She's a lovable, but he's not coming back. Shall we know? We didn't. Uh, t- um, Mario Canzone was in a musical down the street. We were on Forty Eighth Street at the court, and Mario Cantone, Cantone was at. Oh, what's the show about all the boys? Terrence McNally. Love, Valor, Compassion. Compassion. He was in that show, I think around that same time or whatever, but so he made up a musical about the heiress. (laughs) (laughs) The heiress, she's in love, but he's not coming back. (laughs) There'll be no use for her childbearing hips. The heiress. (laughs) So, uh, Cherry Jones, the best leading lady ever. Oh, and it should have. She she was, I mean, she had done, like, Our Country is Good before that, and she had done, um, Juliet and Juliet yes. with Hope Davis, yes. who's also awesome. Um, Cherry Jones was a great leader. She was she taught me really what it was to be a great leading lady. Um, just so truthful every night. She uh, was heartbreaking, and so kind and so uh, inclusive. If she learned something that she hadn't known before, she said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna save you," you know whatever, maybe she was 40 at the time, mm-hmm. I was 24, she said, I'm, I'm going to save you 15 years and, and teach you this, what I learned on this show, and really, she was so generous and so loving, and uh, when I was having a panic attack when I was doing Annie, um, I actually had a dream, like I couldn't quite figure out how to do it, I couldn't quite, I wasn't quite reaching, telling the story the way I wanted to tell it, uh, to tell it in Annie, and I had a dream that I was failing and that Cherry Jones came to me and said, you know, don't worry, just keep, keep doing the work and you're going to be okay. So I called her the next day and I was like, you helped me in my dream. <laughs> <laughs> and she said to me, she said, success is really hard because then every time you do something fresh and new, everyone's expecting you to have that hit that you had before. And that's with Kristen Chenoweth too. It's like everyone wants it to be a huge hit. Well, it was a you know, it's an interesting, wonderful performance. It's not always going to be what you think it's going to be. And she said, you just have to keep working and you have to keep doing the work and, and 
sometimes it'll hit and sometimes it won't and just keep going. So, oh, Cherry, uh, Cher Cherry Jones is, is just really one of the best actresses I know. Yes, yeah, sorry, yes. No, Ooh, Mauritius. Mauritius. Mauritius, okay, Mauritius is a, is, it's a, um, it's a Teresa Rebeck play. And she wrote this play that, uh, it was actually an offer. Um, uh, Douglas Hughes directed it, Doug oh, Hughes. Wow. He's a great director. It was Alison Pill, Bobby Cannavale, uh, Dylan Baker, F. Murray Abraham. It was a fantastic cast. It was such a great cast. And I started reading the play. And I couldn't put it down. It was like a page turner. I've never read a play like that before. I could not put it down. And the part was a really unlikable sister. And I had always done very likable, sort of funny roles. And I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to do a role in sort of endure being the unlikable one. And Alison Pill's incredible. I think oh, I she's going to have an incredible career. Also a great singer. Oh, yeah. We used to go um, uh, karaoke at night after the show. Bobby Cannavale was like huge in karaoke, and and she can sing like Janis Joplin. Like she's amazing. Wow. I don't think anybody knows that about her, but no. I'm telling you, she's amazing. And uh, Bobby Cannavale was amazing, and and, and the, the show was just like a great. It was about stamps. Wow. It was about philatelists, and it was about this this very very um, uh, expensive stamp that the sisters owned. And I remember getting booed because I was such a mean sister. And the audience would boo me. And Dylan Baker's daughter, who I knew before the play, stopped talking to me. I was like, okay. She was like 14 at the time. And, and she stopped talking to me. I was like, uh, I, we've known each other forever. And she's like, yeah, I, I can't believe that you would act that way. That's terrible. But it was such an, it was really fun for me to, the first time I got booed, I sort of looked at the audience like, wait, wait what? Wait, wait a second. I, I have my point of view too. It was really fun to play someone unlikable. A good lesson. Will you do one last one? Oh, yes. My favorite year? No, well, what, I'm sure it's going to be... Andrea Martin. Uh, all I can uh, say is Andrea Martin. She was awesome. I, I, I understudied the lead, and so I got to go on and sing, um, uh, I want to be funny. I want to be tiny. Uh, that's funny, that's funny, I found an unfriendly. Whoever is my favorite year fan, I'm sorry for like <laughs> ruining the lyrics there. Uh, so I got to perform that with, uh, with Andrea Martin. She's awesome. I was just thinking, I wanted it to be... Cabaret? I was just hoping for, like, a fun Kevin Spacey story. <gasps> Kevin Spacey. Okay, Kevin Spacey was Iceman great. Kevin, wait, did Kevin... Uh, Iceman come up with Kevin, and uh, I played Cora, who was um, one of the hookers in the show. And Kevin, we rehearsed on the stage, which was really exhausting, because you feel like you have to project the, the performance to the back of the house, but it was fun rehearsing on the stage. Kevin is so galvanizing. He was so... Um, excited to work with this group of actors and we had Michael Emerson who oh, wow. was amazing Paul Giamatti Tim Pickett Smith like really amazing Catherine Kellner uh, Dana Spivey really great uh, amazing actors and he knocked down walls in the theater dressing room so that everyone could be in the same dressing room wow. so that we could all kind of sort of have you know not the women but with the men like they all had the same dressing room so that Tony Danza you know everybody everybody was in the same dressing room and uh, it was so much fun, and he would have parties, and he's, he's just very galvanizing and very fun to be with. Okay, so we need to discuss 54 Below, your show, It Might Be You, A Funny Lady's Search for Home, which is May 28th through the 31st, 54 Below. What, what, I was, I'm really excited because I, I hear that we're going to get, like, stories. The cabarets that I've loved that I've been to are the ones where you feel like you really get to know the person. So I feel like mine really is 
filled with great songs, but also a lot of stories. I tried to tell really personal stories about my challenges as an actor. And they're funny, but they weren't funny at the time. Those are the best funny stories. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't think there's, I'm not, I mean, I've worked with a ton of movie stars and stars, and I could do another show about that. But this is really more about my challenges as a mother, uh, about trying to find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with was a real challenge for me. I didn't meet um, my husband, Darren Goldstein, until I was 37, and I always wanted to have children, and that was really a major priority in my life. And I thought I was running out of time, and I loved my the home that I had built with different companies in the different jobs that I had, but I really wanted to integrate that home into my own home, made from my own flesh and blood. So these are stories that, they're simple stories, and they're universal stories, and they're stories of embarrassment and <laughs> struggle and great triumph, but they're my stories. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask about, did I read that you're going to do a Netflix series? I am. What, that is so exciting. I know. I'm so excited. I'm like the drama girl now on the, the cable <laughs> actress. <laughs> Sam Shepard, Sissy Spacek, Kyle Chandler. Wow. And my husband is played by none other than Norbert Leo Butts. <laughs> yes. So oh. Norbert and I just get to like sing and goof around between takes while Sam Shepard looks at us like, oh, you people are so annoying. <laughs> We have no idea what's going to happen, only that we have a great time when the camera's not rolling and we annoy Sam Shepard, and Sissy Spacek is the best, and, and it's really fun. You, Katie Vinner, have been such a delight. Thank you for doing the Theater People podcast. You truly must be the nicest person I've ever <laughs> met. Thank you for coming and doing this, and, and we can't wait to come and see your cabaret and, and follow your career. And I hope you come. I think, I think the scariest part is not selling all your tickets, so I hope that, I hope that everybody comes and, and supports the 54 Below because it's such a great place, it and it's such an unusual, um, unusual place where people get to come and, and tell stories. Yeah. So well, hopefully you. you'll come and hear mine. I'll be there. Right. <laughs> Bye. Today's episode was produced by me and Mike Jensen. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Dan Fortune, Bradley Behan, Steve Tipton, who manages our website, the staff at Oswald, and Ellen Marsh. To buy tickets to Katie's show at 54 Below, go to 54below.com. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends about us, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and check out our website where you can find all of our episodes. It's www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. We'll be back in two weeks with the lovely and amazingly talented Eden Espinosa. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Theater People Podcast. 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 I'm Katie Finneran, and you're listening to Theater People Podcast. Theater People Podcast. Theater People Podcast. Theater People Podcast. <laughs>